Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to review uh, what we call thermal modalities and cryotherapy modalities. Uh, we talk about these in my physical therapy graduation, uh, grad level classes, but there's a lot of things you can do with these and use with these at home. So I'm going to talk about them in that sense. Um, I use a lot of these myself, whether it be cold air, cold water. Uh, you've probably seen the red light therapy device I have from Huga Health uh, on my Instagram story different times. So I'm going to run through all of this stuff and really try and break it down for you today. So today's basically the hot cold episode. So starting off with cryotherapy. So cryotherapy, um, to understand that, just break it down uh, real quick, the different properties of cooling. So this is how you can lose uh, body heat or temperature. So you could lose heat by conduction or conductive heat loss. And essentially, conductive heat loss is when you have direct interaction between your skin and something else, and the heat from your skin flows into that other object. So that would be something like an ice pack or a cold pack or something like that. So if you've ever taken a bag of frozen peas and put them on an area that you have pain in, this is conductive heat loss. And essentially, the larger area of the thing that you have, whether it be the bag of peas or a cold pack, ice pack, whatever, the larger the area the quicker you're going to lose heat and the um, larger the tissue thickness, the slower you'll lose heat. So you've probably heard about fat and adipose tissue being a form of insulation in the body. So the more adipose tissue you have, the slower you would lose heat. Uh, locally, this is going to cause a variety of effects. So this cold will decrease blood flow to an area. Uh, so you might have seen different cardiac surgeries before, cardiac procedures. In order to decrease blood flow to the heart for operating pur purposes, they will literally put buckets of ice in the chest on the heart to cool it down and decrease blood flow. This decreased blood flow is matched by a phenomenon called vasoconstriction, which is essentially the opposite of vasodilation. So when you're working out and you're uh, trying to get that muscle pump effect on your muscles, that's vasodilation. Here we're looking at constriction, so they're going to kind of shrivel up the uh, vasculature. We're going to see decreased nerve conduction velocity, and we're also going to see a decrease in tissue temperature. So that's going to be true for pretty much um, most of cryotherapy. Um, cryotherapy is just a term for cold. Uh, cold therapy. So we talked about conductive heat loss, which is that direct contact. Well, we also have convective heat loss, which occurs when heat is lost um, via direct contact with fluid. So since it's a liquid, you might have remembered from like elementary school science class that liquid uh, particles are mobile, they're moving. So maybe this is your cold shower, maybe it's a cold whirlpool, uh, anything like that. Basically, this will cause faster heat loss than conduction. 
uh, something about the moving particles, I believe. So with that, uh, you can use, like I said, I use my cold shower. Um, I just turn the water all the way down to the coldest temperature I can get and just kind of do a few minutes with that and uh, you really feel it. Uh, so, so far we've got that conductive, which was the direct contact, the convective heat loss, and now the last one is evaporation. And this is essentially sweat. So when liquid uh, gets turned to a gas phase. So this is your body's sweat mechanism. You might have seen different sprays for it, like instant ice, that sort of thing. Essentially, you're going to see decreased skin temperature, and you're also going to see decreased motor neuron activity. However, these effects will not carry over into those deeper tissues because think of sweat. Sweat is the perfect example for this. It's at the surface. It's a surface level kind of thing. Um, the nice thing about this too is you have a little bit of pain relief uh, if you're going into stretching. Uh, so if you try and stretch cold, you might have felt that it's kind of painful, doesn't feel the greatest, but if you warm up beforehand, so maybe you jump on a treadmill for 10 minutes, get a little bit sweaty, then you go into stretching, you're going to feel a lot better, a lot more loose, and a lot more mobile. So from there, the cooling properties of cryotherapy can have a variety of effects on the body. So we talked about some of them already, decreasing blood flow, um, other heat, and uh, the vasoconstriction. Uh, vasoconstriction like that is actually kind of a um, reflex, if you will, and that triggers what's called the mammalian diving reflex, or MDR. And I will do a whole episode about the MDR and free diving in the future because I am fascinated by that. Um, it's not something I want to dive into too much now. I want to stay on topic. But so vasoconstriction, reduced blood flow. Uh, there's more resistance to blood flow because of the vasoconstriction. So you can say the blood is also more uh, viscous. Uh, and then if you get really cold, so about 22 degrees Fahrenheit, you might uh, see vasodilation and vasoconstriction alternate. And that's known as the hunting response. So your uh, blood flow will increase and then decrease, increase, decrease in cycles. And the thought was to prevent frostbite. Uh, that's why that response was built into people. That's the thought anyways. Um so otherwise, we also use cold to have an impact on edema and inflammation. So obviously, after you work out, uh, you will probably have some sort of swelling or some sort of inflammation from the fact that you were just lifting weights or running or whatever you were doing. And the cryotherapy will help to uh, decrease inflammation, decrease pain, decrease uh, local metabolism, decrease uh, intramuscular pressure, all of those sort of things. However, animal studies have shown that if you're doing this for too long of a period of time, then you might actually increase swelling. Now, these are animal studies, not human, so we can't draw too many conclusions from them. Uh, but most of the time when you consider icing and cold and cryotherapy, 
you don't consider doing it for hours on end. It's typically short periods of time, and that could be part of the reason why. Um, additionally, the cold can help to uh, reduce, I think I mentioned this before, it lowers or reduces nerve conduction velocity, and that in turn will increase your pain threshold. So that's kind of a nice little hack there. If you're in pain, uh, maybe, you know, you just had a major operation or surgery or something and you're trying to recover, they probably gave you that rice formula, rest, ice, compression, elevation, and that ice can really help uh, to increase your pain threshold and help you manage the pain better. So as far as muscle effects go because if you're listening to this show you know I like to really apply things so performance you're not really going to see much of effect if you're just doing short periods of ice if you do it long enough you'll see a decline in your performance and again cryotherapy can take many different forms so think about a super cold day so I'm thinking about, say, like an outdoor football game or soccer game, and maybe it's, you know, in the 20s out and snowing. It's cold, and you've got people out there in, you know, short sleeves, uh, shorts maybe, especially if they're soccer. They're going to be cold, and because of that cold, they're probably not going to play their best game. They're not going to be at their peak level of performance and peak potential uh, as a result of that. So you would see loss of strength, proprioception, and agility. So essentially the cold is making you a little more stiff, if that makes sense. Um, Which in some senses is also a good thing because although the cold can make you more stiff, that will decrease neuromuscular spasticity. So that's a huge physical therapy application point. I don't really want to get into that too much uh, because I'm trying to stay more on the health and fitness uh, track here. But essentially, if you want to consider using uh, cold therapy, you can use it for uh, reducing pain, help to make your muscles relax, and try and uh, use it to limit swelling and different things along those lines. Um, Now, I do know some people talk about cold therapy for fat loss and, you know, speeding up the metabolism. And that is something that personally... I do uh, a lot of, and I do recommend it. However, I recommend you use a little common sense with it. Like, don't go and spend the night outside uh, without a shirt on when it's 30 degrees out. Like, you know, brief periods. I'm talking like a minute, maybe two or three at most. Just short, small periods of cold exposure. I'm not going long-term because I don't want any detrimental effects. I want to be safe. And as always, consult with your doctor before doing any of those things, just in case you have any precautions. Uh, So what I mean by that is if you're hypersensitive to cold, uh, if you're someone who has some type of thermoregulatory disorder, that sort of thing, then you probably don't want to go in the cold. Um, if you have uh, Raynaud's phenomena or different um, pathologies like that that could also uh, impact your circulation, then again, consult your doctor uh, because ultimately, although cold therapy and cryotherapy is beneficial, it's not worth compromising your own health for the benefits. Um, so 
again, we just keep it short. At most, 20 to 30 minutes for things like icing and stuff. Um, other thing you should consider is your positioning. So if you're going back to that icing example, maybe you've got the frozen bag of peas out or something. Um, consider where you're going to put that. If you're going to compress it, if you're elevating your limb or whatever you're icing, how big is it? That sort of thing. Um, so again, we talked about a lot of different things, the cold water. Um, I said cold air. I live in the Northeast, so the mornings are already getting cold. You can use frozen peas, uh, wet towel, cold pack, ice pack. Um, there's also this uh, thing called ice massage where they take, basically take a ice cube and massage it over a area of pain or something along those lines. And that can be effective. Um, there's the different sprays. There's also different compression units that you can use. Uh, the one that we talk about a lot is the Game Ready because it combines compression with a uh, cold water so a cryotherapy element um, it's for specific uh, joints and it's very expensive i do not own one nor do i use one um, but if you're ever in a physical therapy office for anything that might involve cryotherapy or compression you could always ask them about it if they've heard of it if they use it uh, what their opinion of it is so uh, as far as how you can assess the effectiveness of cryotherapy. So obviously, if you're doing all these things, you want to make sure it's worthwhile to you. So um, what I would do is have you write down your pain on a, maybe a zero to 10 scale and just write how bad that pain is. And then I could have you write down that number again after uh, we're done with the cryotherapy and maybe maybe the pain is lower. Um, additionally, you could always check your mobility. Now, obviously, you're not going to pull out a goniometer, which is a tool we use in physical therapy, and measure your own uh, joint motion, but you could do a pretty gross assessment. So, you know, if you're lifting your shoulder up and you get to about 90 degrees, so that's where your shoulder makes a right angle with the rest of your body, so your chest and trunk. Uh, then, you know, apply your ice, apply your cryotherapy, and then see if you get higher. Uh, so something like that, some kind of gross observation. Um, because as I've talked about in the past, being able to self-experiment and really, you know, see what you, uh, how you're built and what works best for you is kind of a big thing. So that's one way you can assess how effective the cold is going to be for you. Uh, so cold, check. Now moving on to heat, because heat is a little more uh, nice than cold. Um, one last thing. So I know a lot of people like to consider those full body cryotherapy chambers that drop down to like really, really cold and you have to like book a special appointment for that sort of thing. Um, I have never used one and there's a lot of research that still needs to be done in my opinion to prove their effectiveness. Uh, it's still kind of a newer thing. I believe that it could be very beneficial and it could work. However, like I said, I live in the Northeast. 
it's very cold outside, especially in the winter. So with that in mind, why would I go into a cryotherapy type place and pay how much to use one of those devices when I can just step outside uh, with just my shorts on in the middle of the winter or in the morning here, it's been in the 40s, and get very similar effects. Um, maybe not the same because theirs is colder. And again, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. If you're listening to this and you're someone who has a connection with someone who uh, offers cryotherapy type services like that, I would love to try it. So feel free to have them reach out to me and I will give a full review of my thoughts and everything following. Um, but now moving on to uh, heat. So Typically, people enjoy heat. We all like feeling warm, right? So, essentially, there's a lot of different things that can impact your ability to heat. So, whether you're doing a sauna or a hot pack or red light therapy or whatever, uh, it comes down to how much tissue you have, what the tissue is made of. So, is it more fatty or muscular tissue? Um, How much blood supply does the tissue have? that sort of thing. Uh, So essentially elevating your temperature or increasing your temperature is going to increase your metabolic rate. It's going to cause vasodilation. So we think about working out when we're hot and sweaty, then we're going to see that vasodilation. Uh, It can also reduce pain and muscle spasms. So uh, essentially the premise for this is called the thermal gate theory. We don't fully understand it, but our theory is that we see increased firing of thermoreceptors in our skin, and we believe that will block input from your pain receptors uh, to the spinal cord. So essentially, it would increase your pain threshold, which that sounds good. Um, Additionally, heat and elevating your temperature is going to increase elasticity and muscle flexibility. So that's why we always have our clients go through a warm-up before they begin working out because increasing your tissue temperature is going to allow you to move through a better range of motion and essentially make your workout more effective. This is also going to reduce joint stiffness. Um, So you might know someone or maybe you yourself struggle with arthritis. And if that's the case, if it's osteoarthritis or degenerative arthritis, usually as you get up and moving, you feel a lot better. And you just, whatever pain you woke up with that morning kind of dissipates throughout the day. And that would explain why. Um, So before we talked about conduction and convection for heat loss... Obviously, you can just flip flip those for heat gain because heat flows from an area of higher heat to lower heat. But we also have radiative heat, which would be uh, similar to the red light therapy. So essentially, we have those um, hot packs. So we have wet ones and then we have electric heating pads and they can both get very warm and they would apply heat to us, obviously. Uh, They're pretty easy to prep, easy to use. They're not too expensive either. Uh, However, one thing you have to keep in mind is obviously a electric hot pack or something similar is not going to heat your whole body 
simultaneously. It's a very focal area. Um, there's other different things that we can use. So uh, we could just use exercise for warm-up or cool-down. Um, and that would essentially help us to elevate your body temperature or bring it down. Uh, you could use hot water, so something like a hot shower. Um, I'll use that different times. I like to flip between the hot and the cold water after I work out personally. Obviously, sauna, so whether it's dry sauna or red light therapy. Um, I know that red light therapy is kind of more of a new thing. And I think I touched on it uh, in the one of the first podcast episodes I did, actually, if I remember correctly. I think it was biohacking the immune system. And at the time, I was saying, you know, there's still not a whole lot of research known about red light therapy. And that is still true. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, RCTs or higher level evidence-based uh, research done on red light therapy. However, what I have seen so far is very promising. And this is across the board, uh, whether it's, you know, mitochondrial health or um, just overall awakeness and alertness, uh, joint pain, just heating the body. Um, so far, everything looks very good, and I actually just flipped mine on so I could soak up some red light right now. Um, but if you are going to buy a unit, I highly recommend buying a good unit. This is not one that you'd want to skimp out on. Um, personally, again, I really like my red light device from Huga Health, H-O-O-G-A, um, uh, their devices are pretty high powered. They're five watts per bulb. Uh, one thing, obviously, you're going to want to watch uh, your eyesight because you don't want to look directly into one of these bright lights. So you'll want to wear sunglasses or the little goggle things that they give you to wear uh, while you're soaking in the red light. Uh, but red light, obviously, is going to be more of a radiative infrared type of heating. So it heats your body or whatever tissues you are uh, exposing to it and not the air around you. Dry sauna would heat the air around you and then you simply step into it. Uh, if you are going into a sauna, obviously consider how much you sweat. Uh, obviously, dry saunas can really take a lot of fluid out of you. So make sure you're rehydrating properly. So most of the time we use the thermotherapy to decrease pain and stiffness. Um, so again, warm up, increase your range of motion, warm up, and also to help promote tissue healing. So uh, you might have heard me talk before about the benefits of doing something like a simple walk for recovery. So literally just going on a 15 to 20 minute walk can help your body recover drastically. And that's something that I do every day because what happens, you get up, you're moving, you're moving blood throughout your whole body really. And as you move, you're increasing your body temperature. Um, so very beneficial for recovery. You've probably seen uh, saunas marketed for recovery as well. And as I talked about in some of those earlier episodes on the immune system, you can see a immune uh, response and some beneficial effects on your immune system from these devices. Um, I think saunas are more studied in this regard because they're kind of heating your whole body 
and elevating your entire body temperature, your core body temperature. And the reason they believe that's beneficial is when you're sick, you get a fever, so your temperature increases, and the sauna is essentially doing the same thing. So there's different ranges as far as temperature is concerned that bacteria and viruses and other uh, microbes can live at. And your body tries to increase its temperature to a level that does not allow them to live. And that's essentially what the sauna is doing externally. Um, so that's one of the reasons we believe the sauna can be beneficial to the immune system. Now, there are some people who should not do thermal uh, type of therapies and that sort of thing. Um, so for example, if you have a mass or a tumor, you should not put a hot pack directly over that. Um, additionally, if you have maybe like an icy hot patch or icy hot cream on, I would not then put a hot pack directly over top of that. Um, and always make sure you watch your skin. Um, I know that kind of sounds like a weird thing to consider, um, but when you're applying some type of hot thing like an electric heating pad onto your skin directly for a prolonged period of time, that can have some effects that you might not want, especially if you leave it there long term. So just kind of keep an eye on things. And for all these things, make sure you always consult your doctor or your primary care provider in advance just to make sure you're good. It's just a simple phone call or a quick email. Uh, however, your doctor functions these days. Uh, it's crazy to think how different medicine has become uh, in the day and age of the pandemic. Um, trying to think of anything else I have for today. I went through everything that I planned on and we went through everything pretty quick. Um, so I'll say next week we have some exciting stuff coming. So I'll be recording a two-part podcast with a good friend of mine. Her name is Ariana Camille, and she uh, is a dancer from New York City, Philadelphia. Um, so she is phenomenal at dancing, and I'm really excited to hear her share her story about how she became a dancer in the first place and how hard she had to work to get there. So it's going to be a really life lesson, motivational type podcast. And we're also going to discuss some different holistic life hacks and biohacks that she does and just kind of dive into them a little bit. So my plan currently, because I have a feeling we're going to talk for quite a while, is to split this up into a couple different parts. And the reason I'm doing that is because I don't want to hit you with a three-hour episode all at once or something similar. So we'll break it up into smaller chunks for you. And like I said, I'm really excited to hear what she has to say and hear her story. And I hope you're excited as well because it's going to be great. If you want to get ahead and follow her on social media, she is over at Evolve Movement MVMT Co. So EvolveMVMT.co. Uh, so you can find her on Instagram and all that way. You could also find her on Instagram at Ariana Camille. Um, and like I said, we'll be talking next week and moving forward. Uh, so with that, 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Please like and subscribe if you like what we're doing. And please feel free to reach out to us on social media at Brawn Body, Brawn with a W, on all platforms. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, any ideas you have for the future. So thanks again for listening. Have a great day.